And we saw that an apprentice to Jesus orients their lives around three things. First, being with Jesus, just hanging out with their master. Second, becoming like Jesus. An apprentice to to Jesus wants to become like their master. And the third is doing what Jesus did. As John Wimber says, we get to do the stuff. Jesus invites us to doing the same things that he did. So this term, we've been diving into some of the practices of Jesus because we want to do what he did. We're focusing on the practices that are primarily about spending time with Jesus, about being in God's presence. Uh, We talked about silence and solitude for a couple of weeks, how we often need to take time out of the business and busyness of our lives just to be with Jesus. We saw that Jesus himself often took himself off to a solitary place to spend time with his Father. And that is so important for us. And then we've spent the past four weeks talking about Sabbath, this ancient practice that started with the very creation order. We read in Genesis that God created the world in six days, then he rested God created the world, uh, and then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And we noted, too, that for human beings, the Sabbath day was the first, their first full day of existence. And that blows my mind. Adam and Eve were created. Then the first day they get is a day of rest, a day to enjoy God and all his creation. They didn't have to earn the right to a day off. They didn't have to work for six days in order to earn the right to rest. They were made in God's image, loved from the beginning, and God in his grace starts them off with a day to rest and delight. And then we saw that Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. We are to keep the Sabbath holy. We can work for six days, but we are to rest for one in seven, the Sabbath. And we can't just get others to do our work for us on the Sabbath. The command says, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your servant, nor animals, nor foreigners should work. And if you've children, I don't know if it's different in your household, but I struggle to get my boys to do work any day of the week, never mind on the Sabbath. But it's great to see God's heart for equality here. The Sabbath isn't just for the wealthy to get a day off. God's egalitarian heart His love for everyone just shines through in this command. The migrant laborer is not allowed to be put to work on the Sabbath. Even the animals get a break one day in seven. And while the fourth command is the longest, actually it's not a detailed set of rules. There is much that you need to interpret for yourself. What is work for you? What does rest look like? for you. Uh, We had some good discussion about that in our small group. Um, Is gardening work? For me, it definitely is. Um, I'm not planning to do any today at all, but it's relaxing for my wife, Ro. So you can fill your boots, Ro, today if you want. Um, The Pharisees, however, they were pretty prescriptive about the Sabbath. Let's open our Bible, shall we, to Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. Um, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples were walking along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, 
Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? What's going on here? Well, the Pharisees over years had built a lot of rules around the Sabbath. These rules may well have started with the best of intentions. It's a bit like the story of the woman who um, lived um, up a, a cliff path and was hiring a driver. And uh, when she interviewed the first potential driver, she asked how close he could drive to the cliff and still stay safe. And he said, two feet, madam. I could drive two feet to that cliff edge and you'd be absolutely safe. The second was asked the same question. And she answered, one foot, ma'am. I could get one foot to that, the edge of that cliff and you would be absolutely safe. The third was asked the question and he said, ma'am, I would stay as far away from the edge of the cliff as I possibly can. And you can guess who got the job. The Pharisees saw God's law as so important that they actually didn't want to even get close to breaking it. So they had a lot of rules that at best tried to prevent you from getting anywhere near breaking God's law. It's sometimes described as guarding the Torah and they had a specific rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath. Anyone know how far you could actually walk on the Sabbath? It's about a kilometer, I'm told. Um, and harvesting was also against the rules. So the disciples just picking some heads of grain, rolling them to get rid of the husk and eating them, snacking. That, in the Pharisees' mind, was working. How many of us would be in trouble if, if snacking wasn't allowed on the Sabbath? Uh, let's, let's continue on. Verse 25 he asked, have you never read? And that's, that's quite interesting because Jesus was responding to the Pharisees, the Bible experts in the time. And he's asking them, have you never read? You know, these are the ones that have probably learned by heart the whole of the Old Testament. Um, it's a little bit cheeky. So have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat, and also gave some to his companions. So what did David do when he was in need? Well, he broke some of the technical ceremonial rules because of compassion and because of need. As Graham pointed out a few weeks back, God isn't prescriptive about the Sabbath. We need to work these things out for ourselves. What does it mean for you to keep the Sabbath holy? The fourth commandment is intentionally broad. And then Jesus says, verse 27, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And John Mark Comer helpfully points out that the cultural context here is quite different to ours. Jesus' listeners lived in an overly religious culture full of rules and regulations that sucked the very life out of the practice of Sabbath. So they needed to hear the second part of this teaching, not man for the Sabbath. We as people aren't slaves in order for the Sabbath to be observed. But here in our area in 2021, I agree with John Mark that we need to hear the first part of this teaching. The Sabbath was made for man. 
We don't live in a legalistic culture. We aren't surrounded by minute, detailed rules about the Sabbath. In fact, it's probably quite the opposite. Many of us, if we're honest, don't observe the Sabbath. We don't really keep it holy. We don't have any practices surrounding it. It's just like any other day. And here Jesus gives us an invitation to something special. There's a day that's made for you. It comes every week in which you don't need to strive. You don't need to earn. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to do. You simply need to be. You can stop and rest in God's presence. You can delight in him and in his loving care. And you can worship Quite a few people at my workplaces have commented uh, how all the days seem to blend together at the moment. Um, and I feel particularly sorry in my company for those uh, working in London and living in small flats who are kind of waking up and eating and working and maybe if they're lucky getting a short walk and then watching TV and then sort of going to sleep and then just doing the same thing all over again. And we've seen that thought and preparation are helpful to keeping the Sabbath. What are the acts, what are the practices for you that will make it special, that will make it different, that will make it full of joy and delight? For me, I've really had to think about that. What what brings life for me? And I know it's more difficult in lockdown. One of the things that brings life for me is interaction with other people, having meals together and so on. And that's that's not possible right at the moment. So preparation and thought is important. Let's continue reading in Mark, shall we? If we go to chapter 3, remember there's no chapter divisions in the original, so this story just follows right on. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then everyone rejoiced because someone had been healed at church that day. I know. Now, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see, Jesus' practice proclaimed what the Sabbath was all about. First, notice he was meeting with God's people to worship on the Sabbath. He was at his equivalent of church. And then he proclaimed and demonstrated that the Sabbath is a day for healing and for salvation. And actually, the, the, the Greek word for healing and salvation is, is the same. It's uh, sozo. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but it's sometimes translated as to save life, like in this passage. Sometimes translated to heal or be made well. And sometimes translated as salvation in a more spiritual sense. So Sabbath is the context in which Jesus does some of his best healing work. 
That's, that's the ethos of the day, bringing life, bringing salvation. And I have four points that I really just want to land with you today. John Mark Comer has uh, helpfully uh, outlined that the Sabbath is about four things. Stopping, resting, delighting, and worshipping. I find that quite helpful for my understanding of Sabbath and how to, to practice it. But this morning I want to jump into the whys. Why can we stop, rest, delight, and worship. And the first point uh, is this. We can stop because we trust God will provide for us. We can stop because we trust God will provide. I don't know about you, but does it ever feel like it's all on your shoulders? You've got to keep going. No one else is going to do it for you. All the plates are spinning And if you stop for one minute, they're just all going to crash to the ground. And so Sabbath, just simply stopping for a day a week, is an act of trust. It's a declaration that God will provide Jehovah Jireh. And this morning I feel a number of you need to hear this. God is your provider. Let's just look at a couple of examples from Scripture. Perhaps the foundational example of God's provision is in the story of Abram and Isaac. And you can read more about it in Genesis 22. The context is that God had promised a son to Abram. And in his old age, Isaac was born. Isaac was the son of the promise. But at the beginning of Genesis 22, God says to Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him as an offering. And as they're traveling with the wood and the fire and the knife, little Isaac asked the question of his dad, where is the offering? And Abram says these lovely words, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And in obedience to this strange command from God, Abraham is about to sacrifice his son when suddenly an angel comes and stops him. It's just a test from God. Let's read in verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham then called that place the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And this provision, of course, points to the ultimate provision that God has made for us. He's provided his son, whom he loves, who took our place, paid the price for our sins, and offers us life and freedom. God is the provider. It's his very nature. And recently we looked at the story of God's provision of manna to the Israelites. Uh, The Israelites had escaped to Egypt. They were in the desert on the way to the promised land. And they were in short supply of food. So God provided this wafer-like food that was sweet and appeared in the ground. And the Israelites didn't know what it is. So they said, what is it? And then that's what they called it. So manna means, what is it? And the food only lasted a day. Uh, You couldn't keep it until the next day. It would really go off except for the Sabbath. And God made this exception to the rule of manna that that people could gather extra the day before the Sabbath uh, and it wouldn't go off. It would stay that extra day. So what an amazing example of God's provision, not only providing food for his people, 
but providing this amazing exception to how manna went off um, that allowed his people to have a day of rest. What an example of receiving the grace you need for today. And what an example of being able to trust and stop working um, on the Sabbath because God will provide. I've shared before in my student days, I didn't study on the Sabbath, which was Sunday for me. And I believe God really honored that. Um, and as well as retaining the knowledge that I'd studied, um, I actually felt relaxed and at peace, probably more so than, than many of my, my, my fellow students. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel it's all on me. Have you ever felt that way? Some of you might be feeling that right now. And God wants you to know that he is your provider. That you can stop for a break, for a Sabbath, and trust that he will provide. Because it's in his nature. It's what he does. It's what he promises. The second thing I want to say is that we can rest because we trust God will protect us. We can rest because we trust God will protect us. When used as a verb, Shabbat or Sabbath is often translated to rest. And Jack shared with us last week very personally and very beautifully about his experience bringing his humanity before God, giving him everything, learning to trust in God's protection even when things around him were unraveling knowing that God would build him up again. When we rest, we're more vulnerable. I'm told that wolves and some animals sleep with uh, one eye open. Just one half of their brain is sleeping. The other half is awake, ready to respond to danger or opportunity. Resting and sleeping is an act of trust. David says in Psalm 32 verse 7, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Some of you this morning may be struggling to rest. And you need to hear this morning that God is your hiding place. He surrounds you. He will protect you. The third thing I want to say is that we can delight Because God is the source of joy. We can delight because God is the source of joy. One of the first talks that I did at Three Counties Church back in 2008 was titled, The Joy of the Lord is Your Strength. And the Bible talks a lot about joy. It's mentioned 242 times um, in the Bible. And the dictionary says joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. But my fellow countryman, um, C.S. Lewis, disagrees. And he distinguishes joy from just happiness and pleasure, saying that one second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. And he also commented that joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is part of God's very nature. Think, think about the creation narrative. Every day after God creates, he stands back and sees that it is good. 
Can you just imagine the joy permeating through the Godhead as he simply delights in his creation? Joy is part of the fabric of God's very being, and he wants us to be joyful too. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's the second thing mentioned. When we hang around with God, we can't help but catch some joy. There's a number of people in our church family at the moment who are suffering with serious illness. And in moments of conversations with them, I've seen faith, but I've also seen joy. And that blows my mind. It challenges me to receive joy from God as well. When we have an encounter with God's Spirit, we become infected with joy. Let's listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please in my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. I believe that joy is something God will increase in us over this next year. And some of us need joy right now. I know I do. There's a promise of joy in keeping the Sabbath. We give him this day to stop and rest and delight and worship. And it leads naturally to us finding our joy in the Lord. Final thing I want to say. We can worship because God is worthy. If you look at Psalm 92 in the Bible... The description under it is, um, it's a song for the Sabbath day. And not surprisingly, it leads us straight into worship. It declares that it's good to praise God. And it talks about why and how we can worship. Let's just read it together. It's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord, how profound your thoughts. I don't have time to go into all of these. You know, we can worship because of God's love, his faithfulness, his deeds, his thoughts, But this morning, my prayer is that we will be given a renewed sense of who God is and that we'll be brought to our knees in praise and worship. For some of you, this might be a sacrifice. You don't feel like worshiping. I know for some of you on YouTube or Facebook, it's it's just not the same. It's not easy. But perhaps this morning... Is Jesus inviting you to worship until you get breakthrough? So just as I bring these, this to a close, all of these things I've been talking about, we can do all of the time. 
We can stop, rest, delight, and worship at any time. Psalm 92, the Sabbath psalm, isn't restricted to only the Sabbath. As Walter Brueggemann said, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Actually, uh, I I follow Pete Gregg's uh, Lectio 365, and in today's um, sort of meditation, there's a great quote from Eugene Peterson talking about Sabbath, not primarily being about me, but actually being about God and how God forms me. And as I bring this message to a close, perhaps the Lord's highlighting one or two of the areas I've just spoken about to you. Maybe right now you need to be reminded of Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And lift up your needs to him. Give them to him and leave them with him. Maybe you need to be reminded of God's protection. You have troubles, you have battles that you're facing. This world is not an easy place. Alan Scott used to say, life can be brutal on hope. And you need to know God is with you, that he surrounds you. And you may be struggling to delight or struggling to worship. And some of you might need to make that sacrifice of worship this morning as Jack and Marion can back up. You know, to make uh, this time of worship a real sacrifice, seeking to worship him from the bottom of your soul. None of these are quick fixes. There are no pat answers. We don't simply repeat these four statements and suddenly everything is okay. Sometimes we just need to meet with Jesus in our place of pain and worship him despite the circumstances. I know I often want that quick fix. I want the instant deliverance. But Jesus often just invites us on a journey with him. Receiving from him through the various different means of grace, through Sabbath, through silence and solitude, through prayer, fasting, community, uh, whatever it is, reading scripture. But his invitation is to a journey to wholeness. His invitation is to peace, to shalom, and to life to the full. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of who you are, of your nature to provide, to protect, your nature of joy and the fact that you're worthy. And Lord, we just pray, I pray for each person listening to this, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at, whether we're right up high on that mountaintop or whether we're in the valley of the shadow of death or somewhere in between. Lord, would you meet with us? Would you remind us of your presence? And would you lead us into life and all you have for us? Amen.